Wednesday. Yeah. You know, if George Washington were alive today, he'd probably say, good God, I'm 281 years old. Why can't I die? Good morning, and welcome to episode 142 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. In New York, New York, I am Ben Lindbergh, not in Long Beach, California. Uh, Sam Miller is off the grid for President's Day. Sam Miller is a big fan of presidents and recognizing their achievements. Uh, So he will be back tomorrow. I am joined today to talk about the Nationals. We've we've finally gotten to the National League. We are over halfway through this thing uh, by Paul Sporer again and Daniel Rathman. Hello, Hello. Dan and Paul. Hey. And uh, Pete Barrett will be talking to Adam Kilgore from the Washington Post after we wrap up. So uh, the Nationals had the best record last year. They had the best run differential last year. The consensus seems to be that they had uh, a successful offseason, maybe one of the better offseasons, and got better this winter. Do you agree with that consensus? And if so, do you think the Nationals are the best team in baseball at this point? Pakoda would not agree with that statement, I guess, but uh, a lot of mainstream writers certainly would. Would you agree with that? Do you think they have gotten better? I'll go first, I guess, and and talk about the hitting side. I I absolutely think they had an amazing offseason. When you consider go ahead, re-signing LaRoche, uh, moving Morse out to uh, cover that, obviously, because then you would have had a log jam there between the left field area and first base. And the fact that there is no DH, of course, uh, hurts. But the the, the trade for Denard Spann, I thought, was excellent. Now, they don't have a lot of fly ball guys, so – even though his defense is is awesome, you know it's not it's not a major help. You know when you look at their guys, they've actually got a lot of good heavy ground ball guys. Uh, Gio Gonzalez was near 50%. Jordan Zimmerman can be very high. He kind of split his season in half. Uh, Ross Detweiler is. Uh, Steven Strasburg's kind of in the middle there as well. So they didn't need somebody to flag down a ton. But I really like what he can bring to the top of the lineup. He can take walks, uh, get on base, and set the table for that amazing two through. You know, you can go as deep as seven if Danny Espinosa is going to be healthy with Harper batting second, Zimmerman at th- uh, three hole playing third as well. LaRoche back. Jason Worth is a key to this lineup. I really love him this year. And then Ian Desmond and, of course, Espinosa. Uh, Jason Worth obviously started off having a great season, really kind of rebounding from that terrible, terrible debut that he had after getting the huge contract. So, of course, then he breaks his wrist. You know, complete uh, unfortunate stroke for him. Comes back, played pretty well. Obviously, the power was a bit absent, which you'd expect. But now, obviously, he had that big power uh, in the playoffs that everyone's going to remember. And an offseason to heal, I think he's going to be a real big key to this lineup here. And I just, I love what they did. And I know I'll let Daniel talk about it, but I love getting Heron on the, on the back end of the rotation, too. I, I do think this team is probably uh, my number one team going in. Yeah, on the pitching side, given the other deals that we saw for pitchers this offseason, I thought getting Heron on a one-year deal uh, for $13 million was a great signing. Um, and one to five, looking at the rotation, I don't really think if those five can stay healthy, I don't think there's any team that can match up with that rotation. Um, and then in the bullpen, getting Soriano uh, to kind of iron out the late innings with loss of Sean Burnett. The, bull- the bullpen looks a little bit awkward because the only lefty who really projects to be in there is Zach Duke. 
Um, right. I, think I was, yeah, was going to ask about that. Uh, they lost Sean Burnett. They lost Mike Gonzalez. They lost Scorzelani. Uh, is that a problem, really? Or well, is it just kind of a, a nit to pick? I'll, I'll let Dan a, go. Yeah, I don't think it's a huge issue in part because Tyler Clippard's numbers have always kind of treaded even actually a little bit sort of a reverse split where he's better against lefties. Um, so as long as you have that kind of in the setup spot, I don't think it's as big of a deal. And they did sign, uh, it was Bill Bray and Will yep. Oman. Mm-hmm. So if one of them kind of emerges in, emerges in spring training, I think they could probably find a spot in the bullpen as well. Yeah, those were the two I was going to talk about. You know, not not household names, not huge guys, uh, but definitely loogie types who can come in, and if they're healthy, that's been Bray's big thing. Uh, if healthy, can come in and be that be that top-of-the-line lefty guy uh, who is as good as, as Burnett. So I don't think that's a major deal there. Other than that, their, their bullpen is just ridiculous. You've got three legitimate closer types, and then a guy like Henry Rodriguez who – if his if his uh, control advances at all, you're talking about a, a stud guy who would be a closer on a lot of ball clubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, now the Soriano signing took a lot of people by surprise, including Davey Johnson. I believe didn't know about that move really before it happened, and I think it was either Rizzo or Johnson talked to Storin and talked to Clippard and said it's not you. It, it has nothing to do with any lack of confidence in you guys. Do you believe that? Do you think that the Nationals were a little gun-shy about going into the season with those two guys, possibly because they were one strike away from, from beating the Cardinals and didn't do that? Is it Does it have anything to do with that, or is it just Soriano's a good pitcher and, and they wanted to get another good pitcher? I, I think I would, a lot of— I would... <laughs> Go, ahead. Go ahead, Dan. Go ahead, Dan. Sorry. Okay, yeah, I think it was about— I think it was actually mostly just wanting to get another good arm in the bullpen, having lost Burnett um, and not really kind of added any proven arms to the bullpen yet in the offseason. Um, and so what this sets up now is you can have Storin and Clippert as the setup man because, as I said, Clippert kind of has the reverse split. And then you have Soriano in the ninth inning. So now you, even though you don't have a lefty, you do have kind of a three-headed monster at the back of the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Uh Dan, you mentioned that the rotation one to five stacks up well with with any other team. Is it a problem that there's no obvious six behind the the five guys? Is there a lack of depth that could potentially be a problem? I I do think that that is a problem, uh, especially in light of I guess you know Strasburg and Zimmerman have had Tommy John surgery in the past. Uh, we never know if that could recur. If they're going to need. Obviously, the kid gloves probably are going to come off, but whether they're going to need kind of to be spelled toward the end of the season remains to be seen. Um, and so they added Ross Ohlendorf this offseason, but looking at what's behind them, you've got reliever conversions, Christian Garcia mm-hmm. and Ryan Perry, who are question marks. So I definitely think you have a problem. And then the other issue is Terran's back, um, which has flared up each of the past two years. I think he went something like 250 starts without a trip to the disabled list. Uh, but now, if that keeps coming up and he needs to miss two weeks again, they don't really have somebody to step in. And if it's a close race with the Braves in the division, that could be kind of concern. Yeah, could you could you talk about Christian Garcia a little bit? I feel like people aren't really aware of him. I remember him in the, the Yankees organization, but he doesn't get talked a lot, but could potentially be that guy. What What is his history? Um, so he was a... 
I believe, a third-round pick in 2004 uh, by the Yankees. And so he's got a fluid delivery, and he's got outstanding stuff. He's got a fastball, uh, gets into the mid-90s, a changeup that's also pretty good, and a really sharp curveball um, that can come, kind of become sliderish at times. But So he's got the three-pitch mix, and he's got um, potentially the command, and he's got relatively smooth mechanics, but he's had three elbow surgeries. And so the Nationals want to try him, uh, and they have that luxury now that they have kind of the, the three dominant arms at the back of the bullpen. Uh, but it, it, there's a lot of reason to be skeptical that he can ever stick in a rotation. Mm-hmm. Uh, this team, well, I guess let me ask, down the stretch last season, everyone was talking about the Strasburg shutdown. We talked about the Strasburg shutdown a few times on the podcast. A few weeks ago, Strasburg said it's still kind of a, sto- a sore spot, to be honest. Uh, do you think there's any lingering fallout from this point forward, either this season or beyond, whether it, it's in contract negotiations with Strasbourg or in any other area? Is there any reason why we're going to be talking about that decision again, or is it completely behind us, do you think? I guess, Paul. I think it would be behind us uh for the for the long term, you know, when you're talking about you know re-signing with Washington, uh, because there's just going to be so much time that's going to pass between it, and I think there's going to be enough uh, positive thing en- enough positive things that happen to where that's not going to be a sticking point. I can understand why it would make him angry. I think it would make just about every single player in all of baseball or any professional sport angry to have to sit on the sideline and watch your team comes so close too. It's one thing if they had gotten waxed and and you can even rationalize in your head, hey, they lost 4-0. What? They would have been 4-1 if Strasburg pitched uh, or something like that. But it wasn't that. It was so freaking close. So that's tough and it is going to sting. But I think if the if the gloves come off this year, they don't worry about it uh, and then they go ahead and have another big year even if they make the World Series and then they don't win or something like that and then have another uh, string of success leading up to his free agency, I don't see it as a big deal. I mean, it's going to be a story that people are going to talk about it even throughout this year because it's it's easy column inches. Uh, he says as if newspapers still exist. Uh, but you know, it's 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 easy internet inches. But I don't I don't think it's much. You know, it's it's not something to really overly focus on and he's going to go over 200 this year barring any sort of injury that hits him it won't be a a pulling the reins thing so i I say we move on from it maybe talk a bit about it early april uh you know because he did mention that he was bummed but long term it'll be forgotten so is this the the year that strasburg really fulfills his potential and becomes uh, the best pitcher in baseball would you would you say do you expect that I do expect that personally. Um, you know, he's still going to be, and, and and to put him as number one, it would be tough. I'll, I'll say that he's going to be in that group with Price, Kershaw, and Verlander. I have those guys as as a set three, and I think Strasburg gets in there. It, when you look at it, he was almost there with only 159 plus innings last year. Uh, when you when you talk about value and obviously i have a fantasy slant so when i look at things like that uh from a fantasy angle all those innings that they had over him really carried them but if you're just looking at rates he was unbelievable so yeah this is going to be the year where we're going to get to see when he's dominating through six he's actually going to get to come out for the seventh and maybe even the eighth and it's it's going to be amazing to see what he can do maybe not strike out uh you know as many guys this year what he have like an 11.1 rate last year maybe pull back a little bit on that uh when you're going more innings but the sky is the limit with this guy he's going to be ridiculous and yeah oh sorry go ahead Dan. 
Yeah, I mean, he was. I think we had him at four point two warp last year in one hundred and sixteen innings. So if he just if he can maintain something close to that level of performance, he's got a chance to get up to five six wins worth of value, which will definitely make him a top four pitcher. Mm-hmm. That uh, his strikeout rate f- from a percentage standpoint was thirty percent last year. That's that's absurd for a starting pitcher. I mean, you, you, you don't usually see that. Obviously, we've seen some craziness uh, on the relief end with guys like Kimbrell at 50%, but usually 30% is ace, ace reliever type, and he was doing it as a starter. Sure, in a little bit uh, lowered innings pool, but, I mean, 30% at, at 159 innings, that's that's bananas. And what what do you expect out of Harper then as as a fantasy guy? I was asked yesterday where I would draft Harper or whether I would draft Harper ahead of Josh Hamilton. Where are you drafting Harper or where would you or, or what do you expect out of him? I, I took him in the first round of the of the labor mixed draft. It's a 15-team mixed. Uh, Jason Collette and I, my podcast co-host, we had the first uh, – we had the 15th pick of the first round and we went ahead and took uh, him and Longoria. I guess you could have flipped them, but either way I'm saying down in that 15 to 20 range, I'm okay with, I mean, you look at what this guy did. Uh, you want to judge him on comps. There aren't many to go off of, but when you do, you look at guys who excelled as 19 year olds and you're in the pool of Ken Griffey jr. And Mel Ott. I don't know how many people read Doshian's newsletter, but he came out and gave, uh, gave Bryce Harper his NL MVP already and he and he made a serious case about it he wasn't just trying to go with the uh, this is a bold predict prediction and he was couching it that way no he went full force and said that this is my prediction and so you know obviously I'm in agreement there uh, at least on some level because I took him with that pick that early Jason wasn't at the draft yet so maybe he wouldn't agree with me there so I'll I'll, I'll put that solely on myself but I do think that's a guy that uh, you can take in that late first round early second round he's going to be a go for it type of guy you need guys to come out of nowhere uh, and have amazing seasons he doesn't really come out of nowhere but he could have you know, a 41-20 type of season, that would kind of come out of nowhere at, at age 20 in his second season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Rizzo was named the executive of the year last year. Uh, the Nationals have gone from 59 wins to 69 wins to 80 wins to 98 wins. Everyone knows, of course, about drafting Harper and drafting Strasburg, and, and those were almost gimmies given the, the position of the team and the fact that historically great players were available in those drafts. Uh, what is the other thing that he does best or what how what's the best way that he has built up this team other than kind of making those those two obvious picks? I guess Dan, you can go first. Um, I, th- I think it's been sort of taking buy low bargains on or taking buy low deals and seeing what players can do uh, and just trusting that they'll go they'll be better so that it worked out with Adam LaRoche last year. Uh, they did it again with Heron, and if you can make, if you can hit on those signings consistently, and also have those top draft picks, I think that's what kind of gives you that really complete team without any holes, like we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And I, I agree with that specifically on Heron and Edwin Jackson, those one-year deals uh, with skilled players, right? You know, we saw it with Jackson. He wasn't necessarily hurt, but seemingly nobody wanted him. So he said, fine, I'll do the one-year, maybe pay a little bit more than some might have expected had he gotten a five-year. He probably wouldn't have gotten a five-year 50 at 10 per the way he did with them. But he got the, the one in 10. Let's give it a shot. You take Dan Heron, one in 13. Sure, he's a little hurt. Hey, if it doesn't work out – $13 million is a lot of money, but one-year deals are really hard to mess up. 
So I, I like it, and I like being aggressive with, with the pool that they had built up, the prospect pool, that is, and trading for somebody like Gio Gonzalez. They gave away a lot of talent, but they got an ace-level potential guy there. Sure, he needed to work on his control, and he started to work on it a bit last year, but you're talking about a guy who can be an ace-level guy on a team where you didn't even need him to be an ace because you had Strasburg, and you, and you, and you figure, we're going to make this guy our dominant number two as a lefty. Let's trade from our amazing farm that we've built up. And, and I really like it. And again, they have another good farm this year. When you guys were talking about the fact that they don't really have a six, seven, eight type uh, for starters, they've still got a pretty good farm. It's not the number one like it was last year or close to. It's probably middle of the pack. But they can trade guys again. They got AJ Cole back in in the Moore deal. Hey, maybe he gets good again, and they flip him yet again. I'm not saying necessarily that he'd be the top guy to go, but there are plenty of guys that they can trade. Anthony Rendon is a guy who they really like, but uh, there's kind of a spot crunch for him like where exactly is he going to play i think personally by the time he's ready in two years you move zimmerman over to first and then he plays third but if for whatever reason they came to a situation where heron's back flared up and detweiler wasn't very good so they need to fill something with a big spot they can get somebody who's a year plus of of time left uh, via trade for somebody like rendon as opposed to just a rental and to that point, uh, I mean, we talked about Harper and Strasburg being obvious picks, but even last year, they took a gamble on Lucas Giolito in, with a 16th yep. pick, and there's a, there's a chance that he's the most talented player in that draft, if not for his elbow injury. Mm-hmm. Excellent move by them to, to, to just go ahead and do it. There was, a, there was a legitimate chance that he just wouldn't sign. So, that, yeah, they'd get the pick back, but it would have been, for that year, a wasted pick. All right. I guess we've come to the prediction portion of the program. Uh, what do you guys see as far as win total and and finish in the NL East? Dan, you want to go first? I think they'll basically match last year's finish. I'll go two wins fewer because of some improvements in the division, say 96 and 66. Uh, and I guess I, I think they will win the division. All right. Paul? I'm, I'm, I'm going to go higher. I'm going to give them 102 wins. Uh, I'm going to say that the, the Marlins are, are regressing. I'm going to say Phillies are regressing a bit. Braves are still good, and I like the Mets a little bit more uh, than maybe everyone else does. Not not to be awesome or anything, but improve a bit on their 74 wins. And I'm going to say 102, and obviously they're going to win the division. It's going to be a fight with the Braves, though. Even at 102 wins, I think the Braves will be right there for the most for the most part during the year. I really like what they've done as well. Uh, but yeah, those two teams are going to be the powerhouses of that division and of that league. All right. Uh, we are done here. You can read Paul and Dan at, at BP. You can read the rest of their writing on the nationals in the annual, which uh, maybe should be even shipping and, and possibly arriving as soon as this week. So if you want to get the annual hot off the presses, uh, you should order it now. Paul, I guess we'll be talking to you again in a couple of days. You are you are That's the right. workhorse of this <laughs> podcast team preview series. But do you want to, while we're talking about book buying, get in a, a quick plug for your own your own book? Yeah, I'm doing my starting pitcher guide this year. I've done it the last six years. This year will be the biggest yet. I've brought on Doug Thorburn, our own Doug Thorburn here at BP. Uh, we're putting it together. It's available now at paulsporer.com. There's also a uh, unfiltered post over at BP that you can find out details and get the sample that included our look at Jared Parker. It's only $12. I think it's a great value. Uh, I think this has use for fantasy especially, but even if you're just a baseball fan wanting to learn more, about particular pitches that you're watching day in and day out, I think it's a great investment. 
All right. Many, many thousands of player profiles between those two books. Uh, thank you guys for coming on. And, thank you. Uh, we Thanks. will, or Pete will, talk to Adam Kilgore of the Washington Post after the intro. It may still be winter, but Baseball Prospectus is ready to play ball. Pete Barrett is taking you around the league with 30 insiders who cover Major League Baseball. Step into the box. The squeeze is on. And welcome to The Squeeze. Adam Kilgore, who covers the Nationals for the Washington Post, joins us from Vieira to talk about the Washington Nationals. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Pete. Thanks a lot for, uh, for having me on here. Let's start out with a hot topic. Steven Strasburg and inning counts. In your opinion, was last year handled correctly? Um, that is a hard question. I mean, I think, you know, it's sort of my, my first as, as a figure right here. Um, I, I sort of did more observing of, sort of both sides of the argument than, than making an argument myself. Uh, and from what I saw, it was basically uh, at some point the sides sort of started talking past one another. Uh, on one side, you know, people who said that, you know, the National are crazy for doing this. They have a chance to win the World Series. Um, he's the best pitcher, obviously. He makes them the best teams they can be. Um, and this idea of the Nationals, the people who defended the Nationals, um, and, and they were saying, uh, you know, look, the point is health. That's all really we have. You know, the, the prism in which the Nationals approach this decision is not having to do with competition, it's purely to do with preserving Stephen Strasburg's best spot. They believe the best way to do that was by doing what they did, having to go through a normal routine, a normal season, and stopping it at 160 innings. And so, you know, I think it basically what it was is one, one side is saying, uh, you know, you go for the win, their side is saying you go for uh, protecting the asset um, and the middle ground, which we sort of never arrived at. Um, and so that's where I guess we are now. I mean, I, you know, I don't think we're ever going to have um, the right answer to that question. You know, if Stephen Strasburg stays healthy and wins two World Series and three Cy Young, people are still going to say, well, look how strong he was. Why, why is it pitching in 2012? Right. Um, if he blows out, people are going to say, look, well, he blew it anyway. So, I mean, uh, you know, I think uh, the Nationals and certainly Strasburg are sort of happy to, uh, you know, the one, one thing about the spring is sort of they can leave that behind and then let, let they just sort of take their hands off and let them go. Yeah, it's definitely a tough question because a lot of people talk about if he gets hurt, it wasn't worth it. To me, if they don't advance far in the playoffs, it may not have been worth it because they were just on a, such a run last year, and you never know when you're going to get a chance like that again. But that was a decision that maybe wasn't handled ideally. Maybe it was. We'll see. But I'm not sure if Mike Rizzo could have handled the Adam LaRoche free agency any better than he did. Yeah, I mean, you know, he, he basically he, he told Adam LaRoche the very sort of the way you're looking for we're offering you. Um, they have a really good relationship, you know, pretty unique uh, for a player at GM. Basically, Rizzo sat down and outlined why he did not want to give Adam LaRoche more than a two-year contract for you know, some of the prospects coming up in the farm system, uh, you know, some of the different dynamics at play in the future for the organization. Um, and he didn't click off on contract because he said he wouldn't the entire winter. Uh, you know, he, he had a good case. Uh, he had an idea of what he was willing to give LaRoche. Uh, LaRoche sort of searched for deal. Largely because of, of the new traffic compensation system, he couldn't find anything better. Uh, so finally, you know, shortly after the year, he said, all right, this is my best bet. I love playing there. 
Uh, I love my teammates. I think we got a great chance to win the World Series. Let's go back. So, yeah, I mean, I think as far as the way Rizzo handled it, uh, you know, he kept it pretty simple, but yeah, it definitely worked out in his favor. Yeah. Uh, because Lurch certainly fits perfectly on this team. He's looking at that to build up a lineup. Really, uh, offense everything else I have nicely. Um, and, and, you know, this is a plus, plus defensive team pretty much all the way around. And the rush truly adds to that. Absolutely. A lot of talent there. He had a great year last year. A lot of talents come through the Nationals system via the draft in the last few years, and you talked about some other guys. We've heard tons about Strasburg and Harper, obviously. What about the lower-level picks in those draft classes? How are they shaking out? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, right now, um, you know, their their top prospect is Ify Rondon, who came after those two guys. He's a high pick, he was six overall, and you know, probably seeing an injury, just like the first overall that year, uh, coming out right. Um, but I mean, you know, they they sort of built their team uh, with a pretty homegrown strategy. I mean, even some some of their depth last year that helped them along for injuries, guys like Keith Walker, Jesse, and, and Tyler Moore, really your own picks. Uh, you know, that were made by Mike Rizzo before he became GM, but when he was a scouting writer here, he came up big. Um, you know, down in the minor leagues now, uh, the guy Matt School, who was picked, uh, it's a fifth round here. Harper went, uh, first overall. Gives him one of the sort of like the guys that your coaches are kind of whispering and talking about quite a bit, you know, impressed by his tag practice already. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the, 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 the Gibson one was, a lot of the trades that I got to be in the national that got uh, the Gonzalez here last year. Uh, but it's, it's still pretty good, especially at the very top. Absolutely, yeah. And the pitching at the top of the Nationals rotation, Steven Strasburg, Gio Gonzalez, among the best in baseball. It may not matter, but I, I like to play these games just because they're fun. In your opinion, is that a better one-two punch than we see with the Dodgers? Um, gosh, that's, that's, that's really cool. I mean, honestly, I think a lot of that, you know, depends on what happens with sort of the biogenesis scandal and the geo is going to be around for the first 15 games. Right now, it, you know, just, just the vibe around the national camp, they seem to be very confident. He's definitely very confident. And, you know, you know from, from Mike Rizzo to their you know, players, teammates, um, they, they seem to expect that the geo's going to avoid any... Uh, any issues? I mean, I guess as a tiebreaker, I would take the Nationals too because of their contracts. Uh, they're younger and a hell of a lot cheaper at the moment. So, uh, you know, performance-wise, uh, the school, you know, Clayton Strauss is going to be really outstanding this year. Yeah, uh, Davey Johnson got a new uh, one-year contract, I believe. Seems like this is going to be his last year. Who do you see waiting in the wings as, as the next managerial candidate? You know, I think it's pretty wide open right now. Uh, I, I do think that Mike Rizzo is going to lean toward filling it in house somehow. Uh, you know, and if he does lean that way, then I think they've got some candidates. You know, Randy Norris, the early organization, 2001, when he's a, a, a triple A catcher in the next booth. Uh, uh, Matt Lee Croy was a player here. He, he's, he's very popular. He's going to be coaching double A Harrisburg this year. Uh, he's a guy like Brian Dabak. He might be a tier in the way as far as, you know, more experienced. Uh, but the organization, like them very much, too. He's going to be a big class name this year. Uh, Third base coach, Trent Jewett. Uh, he's, he's a kid. He's, he's been a, a, a minor league manager for years and years. 
you know, I wouldn't rule out you know, depending on how things go in Houston uh, this year. I wouldn't rule out that maybe he's trying to bring both quarterbacks and Jerry Bogler uh, among his front office. So, uh, you know, there's, there's it's a long way to go. There's a lot. Probably one of these financials are going to look at inside and outside, but as far as it's going to be, those are the guys who are all yeah, we. I just one thing that I'm talking with a lot of the insiders that I have on is the World Baseball Classic and how that's affecting the teams. Do you think Davey Johnson, as a former manager of the World Baseball Classic, and of course he knows what it's like to be manager of the big leagues, has a different perspective on how the whole thing works? Yeah, probably. I mean, I mean Davey just have a different perspective on everything. I mean, he's been around uh, for so long and seen so much that he's sort of, you know, you know, two or three steps ahead of those people. I know the national. You know, I mean, they're not, you know, flatly not, not thrilled about, uh, you know, their, their, their number two pitcher, their best lefty, being gone for, for the amount of time. You know, when, when they're not, you know, in, in their sights, they don't know for sure how they're being used, how they're staying healthy, if they're at their routine or in their routine. Uh, you know, it's just not the most comfortable thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're not, you know, they're not too fired up about it. And they're going to have to adjust the schedule here to sort of, uh, they're going to have to do three starts for, for Kevin Bell before he, he gets that WBC. He's actually not going to join Kenya's Bay in the first round. He's going to join them for the second round in Miami on March 12th. That was decided today. Um, and, and, and the only guy Kevin's going is the country for India. He'll be playing for the uh, Netherlands. So, you know, at the end, I think they're going to be uh, trying to get for India's Bay as fast as they can while he's in camp. Adam Kilgore covers the Nationals for the Washington Post. You can follow him on Twitter at Adam Kilgore WP. Adam, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks.